The CBF Podcast Conversation is presented to you by Fuller Seminary. Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry offers a practice-focused theological education. Learn from Fuller's seasoned scholar practitioners with online classes and apply what you're learning to your own context. Whatever your ministry goals, Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry will help you take the next step in your vocation. For more information, visit fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. That's fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work in renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. This is Andy Hale. We are honored that you join us each week for Conversations That Matter. That's why in 2020, we've tried to pivot to make sure that we are covering the things that need to be talked about, like the plague of racism in America and how the church is responding to the COVID-19 crisis. We're also coming up on our 150th episode, which would not be possible without listeners like you engaging each week in the conversation. Don't forget that you can be a part of supporting the podcast while receiving some great benefits, such as joining an interview with an upcoming guest, books from authors interviewed, and a VIP experience at this summer's General Assembly. We want to thank William Johnson and Cindy Folendor for their monthly support of the podcast. Check out how you can support at cbf.net backslash podcast support. And now, on to our conversation. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Russell Berry. He's a teaching pastor at the Bridge Church in Brooklyn, New York. He hosts the Where You From podcast. He also is a contributing writer at Christianity Today, Relevant, The Witness, Gospel Coalition, Faith Magazine. Russell, thank you for joining the conversation. Oh, thanks for having me. Now, pre-record, I was telling you, you live in my favorite place on earth. Uh, so <laughs> how, how are things in, in Brooklyn, New York? Oh, man, Brooklyn, is it is a great place. Uh, it's a wonderful, uh, it's funny, it's like, the, the, the little known secret outside of New York is that, you know, while most people think of Manhattan as like the center of the New York universe, Brooklyn Knights are like, no, actually it's us. <laughs> we, we actually don't even like to go to uh, Manhattan. So it's a funny thing when I moved here five years ago and, and found that out, but uh, it's a, it's a very um, interesting, fascinating, energetic place. Um, obviously in the midst of a pandemic, um, things is, are, are different now, you know, um, you know, we see people wearing masks all the time, you know, you have to kind of check 
you know, businesses are going to be open. Um, we still are not quite at the eating, dining in, um, you know, reality yet. Uh, we're like, they have a lot of restaurants set up stuff outside. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we're just kind of adjusting to a new reality, but, um, it's still a, a great place to live and not too many places where you can go wake up, you know, th- be at like 11 at night and go, you know, I think I'd like a fusion of Korean and Mexican tacos and be able to get that delivered to your door. So that's a pretty cool thing about living here. Yeah, but you're, you're not originally from Brooklyn. Um, you're a Philadelphia guy, right? That's right. Uh, born and raised on the playground is where I spent most of my days. <laughs> Speaking of which, have you seen the rebooting the series? I saw uh, something about that, and I because I saw Aunt Viv trending um, on social media a, a little bit ago, and I guess because that's the the big question of like they had two different Aunt Vivs, so they rebooted. Who's going to play his his aunt? I don't I don't who's going to play Aunt Viv? I don't know, but yeah, I didn't. I, I mean, that's going to be pretty wild. It, it's the one thing when I've spoken over the years to college students um, and been in ministry now for 20 years, like everybody still knows it and watches it. It's that one cultural flashpoint that people still connect with. Well, the interesting thing is it's actually not going to be a a comedy series. Um, It's actually going to um, take on a more serious tone to address kind of uh where we are in american history when it comes to this conversation about race so i'm i'm really fascinated to see and the original series did um it did have conversations about that but obviously the overtone of of the show was 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 comedy but um all right so so uh, how'd you how'd you end up from from philly to brooklyn walk us through your vocational journey here so people can get to know you a little yeah bit. yep so um i uh ended up, um, you know, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. One thing that is of interest, my name Rasul is not Russell, which you got it right. But a lot of times people just are naturally not used to hearing that name. Um, it's an Arabic name. And it's a reflection of the fact that my parents were, had joined the nation of Islam before I was born. And, um, so, uh, that's kind of a, a interest. So I didn't grow up in a Christian home, uh, but I mean, mostly, but for most of it, it was kind of secular. Um, and I had an, a dynamic encounter with, uh, with the Lord, um, my senior year in high school and became a follower of Christ, um, right, uh, after I graduated from high school and was going into my freshman year at the university of Pennsylvania. And, um, and that is significant because my spiritual development happened in the context of college. And so campus ministry became a natural, um, you know, outgrowth and a sense of calling for me. So, um, I got involved with, uh, crew and a specific kind of contextualized ministry of crew that, um, was, uh, sought to make the gospel relevant to, um, communities of African descent, so African-American, Caribbean, Pan-African, and um, called the Impact Movement, and I got involved with them. And my first, uh, after I graduated, I taught first grade for a year in Philly, and then uh, moved to uh, Washington, D.C., where we did ministry at Howard University, a historically black um, university, kind of like the flagship, uh, actually. And uh, I was in 
incredible experience, quite a difference going from an Ivy League school to a historically black university in terms of the culture of the place. And um, started there, then uh, continued to serve with, uh, you know, college students um, until I transitioned to music ministry in 2007, moved to Orlando, then Indiana, and lived in Indiana for eight years. And then finally, um, just was sensing God really challenging me to kind of break out of a comfort zone. And, um, and there was a door open actually uh, with New York, ironically, with the guy that I had started doing ministry with at Howard University. He planted a church. He said, for people who didn't like going to church and, um, you know, kind of reached the the church population, um, folks that had a negative experience or church hurt. And so I was like, man, that sounds incredible. So my family and I, we moved to uh, Brooklyn um, uh, five years ago and been a part of this church plan ever since. And been able to, from this vantage point of being in New York, just have a lot of opportunities to speak into complex issues and culture and justice and, and race and faith and see how all those things come together. So it's been a, a great fit here. I had no idea um, that was your background, which is equally fascinating to me. My, my senior uh, synthesis was on religion and the civil rights movement, and I specifically focused on uh, the Nation of Islam and Malcolm X hmm. as a figure. Uh, so maybe that's another conversation for uh, for another time. Um, and I, I hmm. certainly think as we get to your your series, uh, the YouTube series you have, I think certainly that multicultural, multi-religious uh, background, um, I'm sure shaped that conversation. But you also, uh, you're a teaching pastor at, at a church in Brooklyn, the Bridge Church. What, what should we know about the Bridge Church? Yeah, so I kind of mentioned earlier that we're, you know, a young, we're young in two <laughs> senses of the word. Uh, we have existed, uh, this is like year seven as a church coming up. Um, so we're a new church, but also the average age of our church is about 26, 27 years old. Um, and so um, that's a very interesting, I mean, I literally went, when I was in Indiana, my, my wife and I, we were kind of like the, the trendy, cool couple at our church that was kind of average age, maybe in the late 40s, early 50s. We went from that to the next weekend being the old heads and everybody saying, oh, I'm so excited to learn from some seasoned saints. I was like, wow, <laughs> that happens. <laughs> you know, life comes at you fast. <laughs> and uh, so any case, so it's a young church. Um very diverse, uh, you know, um, in Brooklyn, the significant African-American population is uh, actually um, Caribbean. Um, so a lot of Haitian, um, you know, uh, Jamaican, uh, but we also have folks, you know, Nigerian, Ghanaian, and then in addition to that, because New York is just diverse on top of that, we have, uh, you know, Asian uh, population, uh, Latin population, white, um, so uh, it's a pretty uh, dynamic, um, uh, diverse group of folks who are transplants and folks who are from New York, all different types of economic backgrounds, but also very creative. We have a very artistic-oriented church. Um, so we've had folks who've been in, on Broadway with Hamilton, um, you know, uh, just all other types of shows, uh, media creators, that kind of thing. So it's a really interesting and, and, and dynamic place. And it's also one that where church is not like, for a lot of people, um, we're building a culture 
because they don't come in with a, a very foreign culture of what church is supposed to be. And um, so it's been really interesting to be creative with the things, the sermon series that we do and, and the approaches that we have toward reaching the lost. You also host a, a podcast. Uh, where are you from? Tell us about the podcast. Yeah, so uh, where are you from? Uh, we're actually just starting our second season. Um, and uh, it's a partnership I uh, have with our Daily Bread Ministries. So folks are remembering those little booklets with the scenic images um, on the cover. Uh, our Daily Bread does a lot more than just uh, create those uh, devotionals. They do radio programs and video content, um, digital content as well. And, um, and basically, we joined forces because we just saw that it was a really important uh, conversation that we needed to have to uh, help believers from various backgrounds um, understand how do we listen well to other stories that are not like ours and be able to lean into issues and areas of ministry that people have that especially are at the intersection of culture and faith. And so um, I basically, the first season, it was just like, man, who are the people that I have shaped me, who I think are incredibly important uh, Christian leaders that people need to hear from, but are just kind of like the best kept secrets. And uh, we traveled around, this was before, you know, uh, COVID, um, and right before actually, like we finished like maybe a week or two before the shutdown. Uh, for the season, first season, and we uh, interviewed people who had written books that were of significance or had started ministries, um, you know, uh, men and women are, are on issues of, like, uh, so we talked to, for example, uh, Esau McCulley, who's a professor at Wheaton College, just came out with a book, Reading While Black, um, who studied under N.T. Wright, and, uh, and is just a brilliant uh, academic. Uh, we spoke with um, uh, Brady Goodwin, who also is rap name is Fanatic. He's part of the cross movement and he's written several books. Uh, you know, just, uh, we talked to Carolyn Custis James, one of my favorite artists who, uh, really writes a lot about women and empowering women in the church. Uh, so many different people that we got a chance to talk to, to just expose, um, you know, uh, people to these important conversations. But the key thing about where you're from is that we don't just talk about, we don't start with their ministry, we start with their story. And the majority of the conversation is about their story. Um, and so that you get to understand like how, where they were from has shaped what they're currently doing and, and whatnot. So you really get a, a sense of a behind the scenes look at these uh, notable people. Well, in addition to that, um, you've got a new web series out uh, in collaboration with Our Daily Bread. In Pursuit of Jesus is a journey across the world with you as you host conversations in diverse cultures about the most talked about figure in history, Jesus. Um, I'd be happy to get on a plane tomorrow and fly <laughs> all over the world and meet extraordinary people and eat amazing food. And that was well before COVID hit and I was ready to do something else besides, you know, what I had, you know, all of us are experiencing, but besides those reasons, uh, what, what was the drive behind the creation of this series? Yeah. Um, it's funny when I said, you know, once in a lifetime, I didn't realize that just in a few months, like literally that series would not have been able to be completed or done. 
So it's, it's amazing how things change. Um, but yeah, I mean, I had the same reaction you did. Uh, would you like to, you know, when they asked me, would you like to travel around the world and, you know, uh, experience the culture of a place and, and kind of understand and have conversations about Jesus? I'm like, and understand how people from various cultures see Jesus. I was like, absolutely. And the idea behind it was um, to understand, to kind of take the, the viewer through my own journey of seeing how uh, going to these far-flung places, we went to five different continents um, and interacting with people in these places would help inform the way that I see Jesus and understand in a different way and even see how maybe some of what I thought was just faith, it was actually culture, but that and that there were maybe some things about faith that I didn't see or pick up. And so the places that were selected were very intentional. Um, so uh, we went to New York uh, and we started here, and, um, not just because this is where I live, but also um, because it's a place where moral relativism reigns supreme as an ideology. And so what does it look like to see Jesus as a moral leader, a moral guide in a place like this? How do, how do Christians think navigate that? Um, in Sweden, uh, Sweden is by the World Value Survey, considered the most individualistic and secular nation in the world. Well, what does it look like to um, to engage with the a person of Jesus at a place like that? We went to Singapore, which is the most re- religiously diverse nation and city in the uh, in the world. In the in the land of so many different options, why do people have a unique resonance with with Christianity? Um, and so on and so forth. Like Argentina, you know where liberation is such a huge theme in their identity uh, and where liberation, the concept of liberation theology and some of germinated, what, you know, what does Jesus have to do with liberation, South Africa, et cetera. So it was just a very dynamic uh, trip to just explore and have these conversations and really kind of get inside of the cultural understanding and framework of these places and, and see how I could make sense of my faith in light of their story. This CBF podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health. At the Center, we help lay leaders, clergy, and congregations find ways to thrive in the midst of change. Our experience in highly trained consultants and coaches don't prescribe one-size-fits-all solutions. Instead, we work alongside you and take your unique congregation and ministry context seriously. We believe the wisdom for thriving comes from the leadership of the Spirit. We help create the spaces for congregations to hear and recognize that God-given wisdom. Please visit our website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about the center and find the help you need in order to thrive in ministry. One of the unique facets of the series is that it uncovers several places in which uh, the religion of Christianity was... um, a forcible change to the culture. Um, one of the, you know, two of the episodes that stick out to me is Sweden and South Africa. And, and to what extent has the figure of Jesus and the upheaval of colonization become um, irreversibly entangled within some of these cultures as you were having these conversations? Hmm. Ooh, that's a great question. And I would kind of, um, I would say there's a huge extent, and that is definitely something that I grasped to a degree that I didn't anticipate, especially that episode in Sweden 
interacting with the indigenous population of the Sami people, who, you know, who are kind of depicted in Frozen, but I had no idea of the fact that they had a very similar story to our indigenous people in, in North America in terms of just a kind of um, Christianity used as a, a tool um, for political domination and, and, and conquest. Um, and that was a story that, like you said, was in South Africa, Argentina, um, and so on. And um, and I think that we we go straight there and we have that conversation and, and explore it, um, you know, head on because it's important. And But the thing that I would say, I don't think it was, it's irreversible in terms of, I think that there's a historic reality that is un, that is just part of this the fact of of history that we have to reckon with. Um, but I think the beautiful thing about reckoning with it, with the folks that I spoke with, was that people can see the difference between what Jesus taught and lived out, and how people used um, Christianity to exploit people and and i think that it's it's a it's sometimes it can be easy to just kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater um and say well it's all bad it was all used for oppression but when you really get into the weeds and you start to see the uh, the context of the story and understand the biblical story you recognize that and especially when i was in south africa one of the things that blew me away was um several of the people i spoke with there even though the uh, South African church had kind of created the theology to justify this racial uh, caste system that they created with apartheid, which was very much framed from what they had learned and studied in America and segregation, that even though the church was a key component of creating that, because there was a confession and, and, and a sense of repentance, um, you know, the one person I spoke with um, there, Yameka said that she had hope that um, that there would be a spiritual transformation because the church had confessed and acknowledged it. Similarly, uh, the white uh, South African pastor I spoke with, um, Pastor Grant, um, mentioned how he thought it was a supernatural breakthrough um, of what happened um, when apartheid ended peacefully and there was a peaceful transfer of power. And so uh, in those cases, they give me hope, the fact that we can look at the past identify with it, lament the the tragedies and the horrific ways that um, faith was um, misused to as a, as, a, as, a, as a justification for oppression, but also see how, as Tim Keller says, that the Christianity has within itself the resources to confront and to uh, correct those uh, lies and distortions and deceptions. And I think that that's an important thing that we hope people walk away from with the show as well. Episode seven uh, takes you to Jerusalem, and these are very authentic and challenging conversations focused on the very real and painful conflict between Israelis and Palestinians. Um, what, what parts of these conversations maybe didn't make the final cut? Hmm. <laughs> um, interesting question. Uh, I think one of the incredible impressions um, that I get when, you know, I, I go, this is my, this is my second time um, going to Israel and Palestine, um, is how uh, human the, 
the nature of the conflict is and, I, and how basically people want to live in peace. People want that. And, and there, there, are, there are glimpses and there are moments where you see that uh, take place and I see that you see that happen. But you also see this incredibly um, polarizing and, and difficult situation uh, that sometimes leadership and politics get in the way of that. In other words, I think that if it was left to the people on the ground, um, I think that we'd be further along. But um, the uh, conversation I had with Salpa, uh, you know, the blind uh, woman from Palestine, she, I mean, it really just touched my heart. Um, I, I remember, you know, there's a scene where I'm walking her to her door um, and I felt like I didn't want to leave her because, you know, she, he, she's an older blind woman who mostly lives by herself. She has the, the guy that we, that introduced us to her, um, who, you know, kind of offers support, checks in on her, but she's just there. And, um, and I remember feeling a certain sense of responsibility to her that I remember thinking, see, to me, when I, when I think of Palestine or the West Bank, I don't just think of, uh, political unrest or, or whatever, or, you know, I think of Safa. And how is she doing in the midst of all this? And I think that's some of what, um, you know, came across to me in the overall inter interaction with her that may have been missed. And, um, and, uh, and this tragedy, too, was that she was blinded um, as a, uh, when she was a um, child, as a refugee, in like around the time when, you know, there was the 1947, 1948, when, you know, Israel became a state. And so there was a, um, a real connection between her own sense of suffering. And in the midst of all that, she was the most loving, kind person I had ever met. And, um, and so I just wanted to get more time with her and, you know, still think about her often and wonder how she was doing. I asked that question selfishly because, uh, you know, I just, I wanted to know what else was happening behind the scenes, but also we don't want to, we don't want to disclose too much of what happens in the episodes because we want people to go and watch the show. Um, you know, as, as you are sitting in Jerusalem, as you're having conversations, as you're seeing and feeling, um, this very painful conflict, um, what did it teach you about, um, the racial tension in America and, and how we have that conversation? Yeah. Um, you you know, uh, I think being in, you know, Israel, I think I've learned a couple of things. One, I mean, you do see uh, similarities um, in terms of, you know, um, just a kind of animosity that's often based by what people see when they see the other person. Uh, there is a light skin, darker skin dynamic to it. I remember getting off the plane and, um, and you just see in terms of TV or advertisements i mean everybody you know it's you would think it was a white nation i'm using white just fair skin um but when you're on the ground you see people very different views I, i've spent time with ethiopian jews and in in israel and there and everything and um and so i that sense of almost being invisible or, or, or people stories not being there is something that i saw as a similarity but there's also differences as well. One of the things that when I came back uh, to the States, um, at, you know, after being in Israel, I realized that our conflict is, is 
kind of easier to wrap your head around because there are certain facts that we can agree on that are not in dispute, um, such as there was a thing called slavery. There was a thing called the Middle Passage. There was a thing called Jim Crow segregation. There, there was a thing, you know, called um, institutional injustice. And and now, of course, we start to get it starts to get tricky when you bring that into the present and people, you know, at varying levels of uh, acceptance of if that is still the case today. But the basic facts of our national story are at least agreed upon. And um, and that's a and that's a lot more complicated um, in in uh, Israel and Palestine, where you know dates and what happened first and who caused what, like all of those things are kind of debated and and, and challenged. And so um, coming in as a as an outsider into trying to just learn it is a lot more complex um, than it is, I think, coming to a place like the states where it's just simpler and more established because we're not talking about you know just a millennia of of issues, which really for people it goes back that far. But um, but we're talking about the you know a pretty well documented four hundred year history. Um, but uh, I guess the one last thing I'd say is that um, I feel like I have hope, uh, and and that was kind of a a main theme uh, in every place that we went to that there is a, a real sense in which, uh, you know, hope is such a significant and important part to play. I mean, talking to believers and, and, and when you see it, um, cause we, 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 you know, obviously, uh, messianic believers or, or Arab uh, Christians are, they're both in the extreme minority in their own communities and, in, in, in Israel and Palestine. And so they have a much different take and a much more hopeful outlook than us in America who, if we're Christian and we talk about these issues of race, we're the majority culture, and yet there's a lot of almost hopelessness or despair because of the changes that are happening in our country. And so I learned hope in Israel and um, in both in the uh, Galilee and in Jerusalem and both of those episodes. And I think that's something that's really inspiring. I think people will walk away from that watching those episodes. You ate a lot in these episodes. You still look fit, mind you. Um, <laughs> but what, what was your favorite meal uh, that you had from these seven locations? Mm, mm, mm. Well, I'll tell you this. This is another one of those didn't make the the cut moments. But um, so there is a scene that starts in Argentina where I'm eating steak and it was really good. But there was another place we went to in Buenos Aires after shooting one night. And they it was like you ordered by the amount of people who were with you. So it was like, okay, here's a, a meal for two to three people. And they had blank steak. They had you know, ribeye, they had strip, they had, uh, I mean, there was pizza, like grilled or rotisserie chicken. And it was just, and it came in this, this like chasing dish, this small silver ornate chasing, chasing dish that had like hot coals that were still actively like hot, like while it, so it was sizzling. You know, I mean, we go to like a place and you got like the sizzling fajitas. Well, imagine that, but it still stays sizzling the entire time. And um, it was like three of the pieces of meat that I had there were the best pieces of meat that I'd ever tasted. And, uh, and so Argentina is known for its steak and its, and its meat. 
and it lived up to the hype. Absolutely. Uh, it was, it was some good food there, uh, for sure. I said, that's a meal. Um, we had a hard time getting back into the <laughs> car after eating cause it was, it was so good. But, um, yeah, so Argentina is some special, uh, special place in my heart, uh, when it comes to eating some good steak. So that sounds like a real sizzle. So the, the trick, uh, you know, for, mind you, for restaurants is what they do is they, uh, transfer the food to a really hot plate. And then right before they bring it out, they throw cold water on that hot plate to cause the sizzle. So it makes you, it gives the off this aroma, like they've been cooking it on this thing this whole time. But what you're talking about is legit, <laughs> but re- American yeah. restaurants, it's a fake sizzle. <laughs> it's not a real, real sizzle. So, um, you know, uh, when you, when you traveled, um, you know, all these different places, um, what did it teach you about hospitality? What did it teach you about community? Man, um, taught me a lot about the importance of the table and, um, and just being with other people and sitting across from them and, um, and how much more valued that is, um, in you know other parts of the world and that's something that we can learn from i think particularly in south africa um you know there was this moment uh so <laughs> here's another little backstory thing so Wena, who uh was like my guide in uh, south africa he lives in the states now but he was born and raised and spent most of his life in south africa and um so in any case um he says okay i'm gonna introduce you guys to my family so we get there before him because he was doing some grocery shopping. So we get there. So they knew that we were coming, but then the sound guy goes up to, um, to Lena's aunt and says, um, all right, so we're, how would you like me to put the mic on? And she was like, the mic was what, what are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, we're, we're shooting for the, and he, he didn't tell them that we were actually going to be filming there. Right. So he gets there with this mischievous smile on and we're like, what, what did you do? Why didn't you tell her? And he's like, Oh, cause you know, they would have, they would have said no, but now that you're here, they're going to say yes. And they're going to do it. And I was just like, I can't believe this. This would never work in the States, but they were fine. And it was the most natural, authentic time around the table. It felt like I was with family. Like it was the one time that we did one shot. They like, there was no, you know, Hey, can you have that conversation again? It just almost forgot that the cameras were there. So it's a very like authentic scene and that type of hospitality of just opening up. And they didn't know that we were going to be filming. They just thought that he was bringing over some fringe from America and uh, from other places. Cause our film crew were actually from Israel and other places as well. But in any case um, that I was like, man, this feels like, like I could live there like home and they would, they would allow, you know, help me to do that. And that type of thing of just being able to show up and be received and be cared for and, and celebrated um, and honored in that way. I think that that is something that we can go a lot further in living out the scriptural um, mandate for, for hospitality, you know, and that helped shape my faith. That was one thing that I saw that helped me to appreciate who Jesus was more like I felt that sense of love and connection with other people and it being less about productivity and more about personal relationship. Um, when I was in those places than I experienced here and that informed my, I took, that took, I took that away from me. I try to embody that more now. So, yep. 
How has your perspective of Jesus changed from this experience? Yeah, how has my perspective, my perspective on Jesus changed? Um, I I've realized what I, that we can't fully grasp who Jesus is only in our own cultural context. There's a reason when you look in the scriptures and you see, you know, just even the church, um, why it took, you know, like the Jerusalem council and, you know, you had all these Gentiles that were coming to faith and it, it took that happening for the church to recognize, oh, people don't need to get circumcised and to be Jewish in order to be Christian, that, that they learned something more about Jesus and his mission because they were uh, touching and interacting with uh, people that were from a different cultural paradigm than them. Um, the same is true uh, in our lives today, that we have blind spots that just, you know, it's hard to detach, um, you know, what's culture versus what's Christ. And it's just so important for us to interact with other people and, and listen to their stories and, and know where they're coming from in order to gain an appreciation of Christ in his fullness. And so, um, so that's a, a key component is just like, we need each other. We like when in, in Ephesians four, when it was like, um, you know, it talks about how we cannot grow into maturity of the faith until we've reached unity. Um, I felt like I experienced that going around the world and seeing how that plays out. Um, like in Singapore, uh, where the idea of, of uh, phileo piety, right. This idea of like, elders and honoring elders. I, I talked to a, a pastor there. It's a great conversation. I won't, I won't go into it in detail now, but ultimately the way that he shares his testimony was unlike anyone I'd ever heard before. And it reflected his cultural sensibility of honor and, 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 and authority. And that's something that in our individualistic Western context, we don't really think about as much, but it's very much tied to how can you read John when Jesus says, I am the father of one and I, I can do nothing except for what my father commands me to do. Like that's a, a prime, that's a concept that we don't fully grasp in a, in a culture that says pretty much at 17, 18, I am now free to do whatever I want, regardless of what my parents think. And so that's a, um, those are things that I just learned bits and pieces, bits and pieces about who Jesus is that it, it got enriched and got deepened through my interaction with these people and the incredible cultures. I had to learn a lot of history. I didn't just show up and just start talking to people. Um, you know, I, I, you know, there was research, there was understanding of the actual, you know, cities and countries and, and the history of the place and seeing how that history shaped who they are now was really fascinating. If you want to stay connected with Russell, visit russellberry.com. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, check out In Pursuit of Jesus, the series on YouTube. Uh, Russell, thank you for uncovering the many layers of humanity to give us a glimpse into the diversity of God's creation. Oh, man, my pleasure. Thanks for reminding me. Now I'm hungry, right? I think I probably made your listeners hungry talking about Argentine steak. Um, <laughs> and i got to get something to eat now. <laughs> well, that's it. That's our conversation. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites at fuller.edu and healthychurch.org. Check out cbf.net for information about our church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, chaplains, and much more. Oh, and uh, one more thing I don't think we've mentioned on the podcast before, but visit cbf.net 
backslash podcast support for ways that you can contribute to the CBF podcast conversations and get some pretty cool stuff.